Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts, joined by Christofferson. It is officially past the recruiting calendar, so we don't have to discuss recruiting at all. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Not bad. I'm a little nervous for how this is going to go with no uh, no recruiting talk. None whatsoever. doesn't feel like we have a safety net, really. I know. We're just up on that tightrope, like 200 feet in the air. It's, nothing is, below us it's like nebraska basketball Look, I, feel. I, I mean i believe in you guys and your ability to discuss other topics hats curling mustaches we were just talking yeah, about yeah, those right. were the conversations pre-podcast so i want to i want to start with the hats thing you you asked a question on twitter it got a big response to no favorites i mean if are you familiar with the concept of being ratioed um yeah yeah i am so, yeah, I think it was the last I saw, like, 45 comments to no favorites, mm-hmm. which is weird because it's not like a Is that a thing. good thing or a bad thing? It just kind of depends. In it, this case, a lot a of engagement. Thing. Yeah. But nobody nobody wanted to favorite your hat tweet, which I, stood out to me. I thought that was odd. Well, it's because, like, what am, they're favoriting, like... They might just be supportive of your hat. That I have 17 hats, you yeah. know? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Could be. Were you surprised at where you stacked up... In people's responses, I saw some people that had like 150, which seems a little high. Yeah, one of our old buddies has like 50 twins hats, you know, Lincoln Arneal. And that was a couple years ago, so it could be higher. Yeah, yeah, probably is like 70 now. That was amazing. I was actually impressed by that. Um, but I thought I was high with 17. I looked up in my closet and I, I thought this is getting a little out of control. I might have to knock a few out. And then I asked the question, and then most people have like, 3540 it appears is that is that oilers hat the most obscure one that you own that's the best hat i own yeah i think so how do you (coughs) how do you organize your hats i mean are they just in a box i have three categories there's a golf section um there's the just kind of the section that's it's uh it's like this one it's a bass pro hat you know it's just kind of etc hats and then there's miscellany yeah, and then there's my Minnesota hats where I have three Twins hats, two Vikings hats, and one North Stars hat, which is probably the best one, the North Star one, honestly. No, t- no T Wolves. You no. referred to the T Wolves as we a couple. Yeah, weeks ago <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I apologize for I, it. I think you can still get on the bandwagon. No, I don't want to. Basketball. I don't. Which... I don't want. Yeah, I was. You accused, can't get on. Yeah, anymore. I was accused of, last night of getting on the bandwagon on social media Saw because that. I tweeted about them. I saw that. That was a little. I got a little testy about it. You did. Too. You you slapped back. <laughs> well, it's like, listen, buddy. You know, I I was watching when uh, when Nebraska when Keith Moody hit the shot. You know, in the Big Eight quarterfinals back in the day, and they were in foul trouble, and Kelly Lively was on the floor. Don't tell me I'm on the bandwagon. <laughs> you, you spent if many you kn- a night walking across the. Uh... The, the cold tundra of the state fairgrounds. If yeah, and if you know that like Kelly Lively was the ninth guy on the bench in like 1991, like I think uh, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon here. I, I definitely <laughs> don't think that you are because right. I don't know who Kelly Lively is. So <laughs> number 34, I think, was his number. But wow, look at that. So back to hats, real quickly. <laughs> I don't want to move off of this. Bruns, how many do you have? Uh, f- I think five or six. It seems low. I felt like you'd have more. Yeah. I'm not really a hat. I can't pull off a hat very well. Like, if I have the 
like the hats that are kind of fashionable nowadays, like the the fitted MLB hats. Flacco. I look like I'm about four years old. Um, and I've got the big glasses, so like a, a hat that's kind of got the curved bill, it doesn't really work well either there. So I'm kind of in like this really crappy like middle ground where I should probably be wearing like a bucket hat. Do you ever view it as like if you're wearing a, a flat bill hat with the glasses that it's like a storefront window and that's the awning? It's it's kind of that way, yes. Um, I also try to shy away from that because I just look like a total stereotype whenever I wear the the big the big glasses and the the flat billed hat. I've never. I mean, I've seen you wear the A's hat before. I've never thought that you look like a four year old. I look younger. I skew younger with the hat on. Well, our generation. I don't know if Schaefer counts in our generation. He doesn't. <laughs> Apparently not. I'm out. Well, ours was. I'm in the 30s. When we were in high school, though. It was curved bill. Right. You curved your. You wanted a big curved bill, and do you remember like in high school when uh, those white hats were all the rage, yeah. where it just had like anteaters or wa- mm-hmm. I had one that was wombats for like Wisconsin is some school in Wisconsin. Of course, the Gamecocks were popular for reasons people can figure out. Game was not included in the hat. I had I had Marshall the the herd mm-hmm. that that was the one that I owned. I wish they I kind of wish they'd bring those back personally yeah lids it was just all white hat there was a summer where it was just like all of those white hats were like one of the parts of the store so as proof that i'm in your generation i own several of those white hats all right fine were they hand-me-downs from your brother (laughs) you're referring to no they were how old were you when you were wearing those though like middle school 17 18 no there's no way you don't even know Fresh Prince lyrics you're not in our generation i think i know about (laughs) west philadelphia born and raised (laughs) The playground is where I spent most of my days. So, <laughs> I did, I just I find it hard to believe that you were wearing the same white hats that we were talking about because I was wearing those in like middle school. I think they stayed fairly popular. I don't know. Yeah, that's that or like they had a, a second run. You're stretching. I feel this like feels like a Skip Bayless lie. I mean, I, I <laughs> own several of them right now. Still, yeah. Should we pause it and let you go grab one? I mean, you guys can keep talking. I'll bring one out, and you can confer whether it's a. <laughs> It fits under the... Turn your mic off, go get your hat, and we'll sit here and talk between the two of us. Getting the hat now. <laughs> this is what happens when there's uh, there's no recruiting talk. Well, do you... Okay. Let's so talk, you, you want to talk football or something? Should we talk football? Yeah, we can. We talked okay. to... Yeah, people probably want to hear about that other than hats. We, we, we talked to coaches last we, week. We did. We uh, got a lot of access since the last podcast to coaches. Um that's not exactly no, what that's, I'm talking that's, about. That's not it. No. no. This isn't it. Nope. Nope. What? So what's the difference? It's Is that just, Butler or Fresno State you're wearing? It's Fresno State. The hat that Schaefer came out with has a Fresno State bulldog, a picture of a bulldog on it. The hats we're talking about, it just said like a word. On this the, is just a name. Yeah, yeah. It would say like anteaters or wombats or... Or cocks. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I didn't know if I could say that earlier. Yeah, we, we With can. the hat. You definitely can. I mean. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, it was a good try, but that's not, not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's because the ones that we were talking about, they were not fitted. No. They, it was, it was. Snapback white yep. hats. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You probably would have worn them with a pair of oversized white hats. Like yeah. an oversized <laughs> pair of Tommy Hilfiger jeans is probably what you were wearing it with. Yeah, it would, now it would probably look like, you know, when they show like the picture of the 2004 NBA draft class and their suits are just way too big. 
that's probably what these white hats like if you busted one out in public now people would be yeah. it would like stop like the jukebox would stop playing yeah this is uh you probably vintage. were putting it over hair that was that had frosted tips yes similar to that oh yep frosted tips hair would have gone with maybe it. some puka shells yep that's the hat those are terrible I, they they were basically all the hat stores like lids that's all they were were those white hats what did for you a type while. in to get that get to that by the way all right uh snapback white hats gamecock okay mm-hmm. but what i like about that listing is that it says vintage south carolina gamecock snapback hat cap rare 90s ncaa college football dead stock party frat that's sad when you start to hear vintage about stuff that was like, <laughs> like one time the Rams started, like last year they decided to wear the uniforms. They I think wore when they won the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner. And I there were some people on my timeline who were like ten years younger that were like, oh these are unbelievable. Like they'd never seen those uniforms before, and it was just making me feel so old. There was a there's a station in Omaha that used to be an oldies station when I was growing up that used to play KGR? like yeah that would play. <laughs> 50s and 60s music when I was a kid, and now they're playing like 80s mm-hmm. music on there, which is a little concerning. Yeah. The songs that pick you up and make you feel good, or yeah. something like and that. Now it's like Blondie. Yeah. Um, we were talking about coaches. Yeah. So. Talked to some coaches this week, a lot of coaches this week. We've been running stories on the site about coaches and how things are going at Nebraska. Who did you guys talk to this week, and what did you learn? Uh, I talked with Troy Walters and Travis Fisher. I learned that Troy Walters is definitely going to be a head coach sooner than later. Uh, you can just tell on his style, even in his mannerisms, he well, carries himself like a guy that is going to be successful and then is basically going to be a head coach. I mean, that's kind of how I view him. And it's it's really in the way that he presented himself. It's in the way that he talked about the offense. It's the way that he talked about the team. As a whole, I think that opportunity will probably be coming for him, especially if Nebraska is successful here in the next few years under Scott Frost and and that offense. The other thing for me with with Walters is that I think he's pretty excited about the skill players they brought in with this class. I mean, I think they feel like they really flipped the offensive side of the roster in terms of skill players. They needed more wide receivers. They brought in a number of pass catchers there. He's excited about the varying types that they have in there, whether it's the Miles Jones versus Justin McGriff versus, you know, an Andre Hunt versus Dominic Watt versus Jerron Woodyard versus Mike Williams. So only a couple of those guys are, are similar, and most of them can do different things while being on the field. And you speed that offense up, it can really create some mismatches. And so I, I think that you can see – where they're looking to create spaces on the field a little bit easier when you break out the different types of wide receivers. Walters kind of went into that. And then Travis Fisher was was tremendous. I mean, he's my favorite kind of interview. He was very blunt and very honest about his uh, assessment of Nebraska's roster when he was able to look at what he was going to inherit with the defensive back room. And he was honest in the sense that he was leaving a place that was his alma mater that he was at before Scott Frost arrived. And that he had built up several defensive backs that were, had either been drafted already, will be drafted in Mike Hughes, or more than likely will end up in the NFL draft with some of the guys that he's leaving at UCF. So he knows he has a, a lot of work cut out for him. 
but he gave a pretty good explanation as to why he feels like he wants to be here in Lincoln, that he wants to stay with this staff. And I think that he's going to be a guy that could be a really exciting coach. But like Troy Walters, would not be shocked if Travis Fisher isn't long for Lincoln either because I think there could be some other opportunities for him, whether it's moving back to the NFL or potential defensive coordinator positions. He's a, a younger guy, and he seems to be you know, heading upward in his trajectory. That that was in Columbus, right? I never asked you. Did you get interviewed when you when you I back home? I did not. That was uh, that was shameful from the Columbus media perspective. I think, but I mean, obviously, you want to talk to Troy Walters and Travis Fisher, but really, you should be talking to Mike Schaefer, in my opinion. But did you go up to like somebody there and be like, "I got, I got five minutes. If you, that's all I got. <laughs> I, I only got five. We got to do it I, now." I did not. The, the highlight of the whole thing was, was slightly blacking out when my father <laughs> asked a question. And then finding out later that at one point, sitting in the front table with the coaches talking, he had lost his glove and then got on his hands and knees and crawled under the table while the event was going on to grab his glove. <laughs> so that's my dad. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more proud of the way that he represented himself. I told you this, and I'm a little disappointed that when he asked the question, he didn't identify himself as your dad. <laughs> I am so thankful that he did not do that. Did you listen to the podcast? Is your dad no, a podcast No, he, he couldn't figure out how to download it. It could be He could be the iTunes subscriber where it just appears on your phone, and it still wouldn't. Gotcha. And then I'd get a phone call asking how he has to do it, and it just would not work. I like how you tweeted out uh, somebody had asked about the full, but I didn't even see that tweet, actually. I was kind of minding my own business, and then I tweeted out like three. Well, you have me on mute, so I understand. No, 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 no. But I, but I don't follow. (laughs) Yeah, it comes out. The recruiting season ends, and I (laughs) cut out from a guy that's on the same, the same team. He'll catch up with you again in November. Yeah, you're not. You're not on my mute list. There's like 17 on that list, but you're not one of them. That's good to know. (laughs) You have you have the equal amount of hats as you do people that you mute on Twitter. Anyway, they were talking. You, you had tweeted out about the fullback, and I, I did it like three minutes later. I just thought that was funny that like in t- two parts of Nebraska, probably in br- where Bronze was at too, in Nebraska City, somebody at, did somebody ask about the fullback? It wasn't a question. A guy in the back of the room stood up and said he had two questions. Both were comments. Um, one was that he was happy that Nebraska's staff was there. That was his first question. And the second one was a piece of advice that if just once during the game they would run a fullback trap, everybody would love him for that. Mm-hmm. And that was those were his two questions. We did great laughter ensue in the There was some clapping. Yeah. Yeah, for for mine, it was the very first question asked of Troy Walters. <laughs> the very first question is how do fullbacks fit in your offense? And Walters kinda laughs and then says, Well, they don't really we, we only ever used them around the goal line, uh, you know, so it's not mm. something you'll see a lot of here. And there was, like, some murmur, and then people seemed okay with it. Other people seemed a little mad by it. I think that's probably I think most people consensus. right now are like, well, if, if Scott says they don't need fullbacks, they don't need fullbacks. I'm, I'm imagining a scenario where, like, he says that, and there's, like, a record scratch or something like that. And it, the place just goes quiet. Not, not exactly. It's an amusing topic to me because 
you covered some big red breakfasts and I covered them for a while. Yeah. And it was like a question that would come up like every week with the assistant coach for some reason. You, you could always guarantee a fullback question and a very obscure walk-on question. Yes. Like a guy that you probably would have to search to see if he's even on the roster. Those fullback questions were particularly strong in like the 2013 year, I feel like, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. People people really want – and that was like Andy Janovich's freshman year maybe or, or sophomore year. So people were, were hot to trot for more fullback every week yeah what did you learn in uh nebraska city bronze uh well learned a little bit about the quarterback position uh mario verdusco was there um just a a guy that's got a really just intriguing background um basically wrote his thesis in college on how to coach the quarterback position um has kind of a, a history with scott frost they were together at northern iowa uh told this story about how Frost brought him out to Oregon for three days or so, and they just basically talked for three days straight about quarterback play and, and kind of what they uh, how they view things. He talked a lot about Adrian Martinez and kind of how that all came together, and I think that that's probably – we've talked about it, about how that's kind of a, a pretty important storyline from this class is the fact that Nebraska was able to identify their guy, get their guy, um, while other schools were really, you know, having to search high and low for a quarterback. So uh, actually going to write still this week about kind of how that all came together. But, um, you know, the, the ink had basically barely dried on Mario Verdusco's paperwork to be able to recruit for Nebraska, and he was on the phone uh, trying to, to get in front of Adrian Martinez. So they're pretty excited about him. I think Noah Vedrill is going to be real big for that quarterback room in terms of just learning the offense, even though he can't play this year. Um, and, and, you know, everybody wants to know about the guys who are, you know, holdovers from the last staff at that position, but you know, Verduska really hasn't been around much to be able to work with those guys, you know, really teach them a lot. So, uh, that that's going to be real key over the next you know six weeks or so here is just getting those guys up to speed and, and teaching them the offense. Yeah, if you look at his track record at Northern Iowa, where he was there a long time, he I mean he was just consistently churning out all conference quarterbacks, and in some cases like Eric Sanders, who we had on our site, and we'll, there's a few more quotes I have from him that I'm going to put out there, but. I mean, he was one of the best players in FCS, and I mean, so he's he's got he's got quite a resume with QBs, really. Yeah, it was he was kind of talking about off to the side with me about how he evaluates quarterbacks, and the first thing that they really look for is they want a guy that can move. That's pretty obvious. Um, you know, they ask kind of the standard questions, but he, he talked a lot about how they are very concerned about how a guy processes information and how quickly he can do that, and they don't want a guy. They don't need a guy, I guess, that's you know a potential Rhodes Scholar or anything like that. But they need a guy that can make quick decisions, um, especially outside the pocket. And you know, he talked a lot about Adrian Martinez really checking those boxes. And you know, he said you, you turn on Adrian Martinez's film, and you know, three or four plays in, he said there's a, a couple plays that reminded him a lot of Marcus Mariota. And when you say something like that, it's kind of like, oh, okay, like that's, you know, a pretty significant name drop. So, did he say whether it was Titans divisional round against 
Patriots Mariota or he he did not specify what uh, what era of Mariota it was. I'm, I, ass- I just I'm assuming to... Oregon Mariota, some early <laughs> early Mariota playing play the hits Mariota. Just just asking the question. Yeah, don't get mad at me. Hey, I'm not mad. I didn't even bring fullbacks into it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that's interesting, I guess, to kind of see how they they evaluate that position because I think they've done a pretty good job of finding guys that really fit that scheme. I mean, heck, even you know, Noah Vedral, a guy that, you know, Wahoo, Nebraska, obviously he was familiar with Scott Frost and, and those connections, but that uh, they, you know, made him into a pretty serviceable quarterback right away as a true freshman. Yep. I was out in Grand Island, and the the probably the biggest takeaway was Eric Chenander was out there. And – to compare him to the last guy, Bob Diaco, and just the way he communicated to an audience like that. The whole time I kept thinking to myself, like, how would Bob Diaco communicate to these people in Grand Island and would they be on the same wavelength? And I kept coming to the answer, no, they wouldn't. (laughs) But Chenander is just like, you know, he's very approachable. And, I mean, I think that's important because you'd have to say – when you're the D.C. at Nebraska, especially with an offensive-minded head coach, he's probably the second biggest high-profile high coach on staff, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And so he's going to have to be somebody that's out there, and he'll have to answer questions after a tough Saturday and all that stuff. I mean, that's going to come with it. And I think his personality is such that it's really going to help him. And just the way he talks about being an aggressive defense and, you know – if guys make mistakes, they're going to make them going fast. And he doesn't get caught up in the labels. I know a lot of people call his defense a 3-4. He says it fluctuates, and it just depends on the personnel. And so there is some interesting stuff there. And then Ryan Held was also out there, and you can just see why he's a great recruiter. I mean, he's just so – he has so much energy. And you can also tell that he's been a head coach in the way he communicates and just kind of has control over a room the way a, a head coach would, would have it, and that definitely comes across. I'd have covered the spread for one person sitting at this table. Me. I don't know if you guys would have been able to guess it, but it was me. Have you been uh, you've been letting it ride since the Illinois game? If I have, I have a lot more money right now than I do. 3500 worth, according to my my math. A very quick math. You ass- just did. Assuming a fifty dollar bet that first game. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I, I haven't done a, a good job of letting it ride. I guess, but Nebraska doing a good job of letting it ride. It is riding. And Brunt, why don't you break it down for us? The whole, the whole game. Yeah, start to finish. Start to finish. Uh, for those that couldn't watch, I mean, the first half was fine. Uh, Nebraska seemed like they finally were succumbing a little bit to the gravity of the game, I felt like. Is that a fair statement? I mean, I know there, you being a bandwagon basketball fan. There was a there was a nervous energy in the gym, and I felt like the team kind of had it as yeah. well in the first half. And then in the second half, James Palmer Jr. went to work. Isaiah Roby finished with another double-double, and – I mean that's that's kind of all she wrote. I mean it's. So I thought that was the worst first half of basketball they've played at home since the Illinois game. Yeah, I mean that's probably fair. And I, I mean they were only down two, and I thought they played pretty terrible in that first half with turnovers, dumb fouls, giving up easy baskets. You know, 
which is symbolized by the score that Maryland had to finish the half. Um, it just seemed to me that they, like Brian said, I mean, there was a little bit of nervous energy there. And then I don't know how early in the second half they kind of made that run, but it, then it just flipped, and everybody was super confident at that point. It was – I mean, it's – when Nebraska made the tournament at 14, I mean, it, so much of that was Turan Petaway just kind of playing out of his mind. I mean, James Palmer is getting to that point, but in a much different way. His stretch before he got yeah taken out there, where what was it, the PA guy said he was on fire yeah, at I mean, one point. I don't he, know if that's ever happened in the building. It doesn't really seem like a high number, but I mean, he's in Big Ten play. Palmer's averaging twelve point three points per game in the second half alone. Like, he's that guy that just seems to really settle into the game. And I mean, it didn't even seem like he was scoring at will by any means in that second half. And you look up, and he's got you know, nineteen points. Um, finishes with with twenty four in the half. You know. He's that kind of X factor that I think, you know, if they do get into the tournament, will make Nebraska a pretty tough out. I mean, he's going to have a lot of attention defensively, obviously, but, um, you know, he's just been a complete revelation for Nebraska. And it doesn't, you know, as good as he's been, he's getting even better. Yeah, I thought the last five minutes, I thought they were – they were struggling to the finish line. It was mm-hmm. a it was a tough last mile. Would they go five minutes without scoring? Five forty two without a field goal. Yeah, field goal. And uh, but they did execute in the last minute though. They I mean they got that key rebound on an offensive rebound where Roby gets it, and then also they actually pulled off the how you want to do it where they're up three and they fouled and they executed it perfectly. They get the rebound. I I. I think that's the right strategy, but I, I, as somebody who's watched Nebraska basketball a long time, I was I was also like waiting for the ball to take a funny bounce off the second free throw, and someone hits a three in that yeah. for Maryland, and that's how the game ends. But, was that intended? I mean, I didn't read post game. The, the second herder miss was, or, or you mean the foul? The foul. Yeah, because I thought they were just trying to trap him, and then Palmer got too aggressive. No, I think they were. They were did did to do that. Miles mention he it did, at all? But okay. Almost got a clean steal off. That's, yeah. So that's why I thought that maybe they they just got called in an yeah. opportunity where it looked like they were going to steal it away. It was kind of a cheapy call, actually. but um, In a game full of them. Yeah, that, that one official. I, Eric Curry. If, is that you know, the name? Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because the, the, one of the Big Ten like official evaluators was sitting in front of me, and I could see his computer screen. <clears throat> And he was having to like notch every call that was going on, and there was a stretch of about four or five where it was just like curry, 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 curry. But Eric, we're gonna have to have a talk. It's crazy that Ralph Wiggum was at the, uh, the <laughs> Nebraska basketball game last night. <laughs> the uh, the thing that has impressed me about this team this year, though, is when they were struggling offensively with Palmer on the bench late. You felt like okay. In the past, this would be a game that Nebraska ends up, you know, they lose by a point or something, some something freak happens late. But, you know, during this whole stretch, they've just made small little winning plays mm-hmm. um, that have allowed them to, to take care of business. And I, I think that, you know, the, the chemistry is right. And it just feels like these guys are – there's like a, a – not a cockiness, but there's just kind of like a quiet swagger about these guys – 
that I don't think you've seen in the program for, for quite a while. When you want to talk about a winning play, first you have Glenn Watson blocking that shot out mm-hmm. on the perimeter, which was just unfathomable to me that Maryland wasn't forcing the ball into Bruno at that point in time. And then Evan Taylor fighting that guy to get the loose ball, securing it in the corner. I mean, it's just incredible effort and will from from Taylor, who uh, has had a really nice season and just seemingly comes up and makes big plays and big moments. He had the three against Minnesota on the scramble uh, where they just needed to get it up before the end of the clock. I mean, he just he had a really nice game again. I want to I want to throw this out there real quick. Who do you think led the team in assists last night? It was uh, Palmer, wasn't it? Or yeah. Roby? Palmer or Roby? It was Palmer, the guy yeah. who had 26 points, had the most assists at five. Yeah, well, I think he had four in the first half alone when he really wasn't scoring. So. And, and that's, I mean, that's the good thing about James Palmer is that it doesn't feel like it's a black hole if he gets the ball because he knows that he can get it to Gill in the corner, that he's maybe got Roby working underneath and different things like that. I, they're playing really well as a team which is unusual for my experience of watching Nebraska basketball. Well, and it's they're doing it too with Glenn Watson kind of having some subpar games. I mean, that that's probably the thing I get asked about most is like, you know, what's going on with Glenn? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, he's kind of on this roller coaster. I think that teams have figured out a way to kind of take him out of the game plan too. And, I mean, you've got Roby stepping up. You've got Palmer Copeland. I mean, Evan Taylor's that way. Gill's shooting more, too. I mean, the, the it feels like there's more options and more good options for Nebraska than there was at the start of the season when you needed Glenn to go out and get you 15 a night to really have a shot. The chemistry, though, you guys were talking about it earlier. I, I thought of a play in the first half where it was a Ro, I think it was Roby who he – he went scrapping for a loose ball all the way to the other end of the floor. And then mm-hmm. there was a timeout right after it, like the under 16 timeout or something. And I noticed all of Nebraska's bench was basically at the three point line on Maryland's side of the floor um, to greet him and stuff. You can just tell right now it's a team that is really connected. I think for stuff on the court and off the court, honestly, you know, I, they've been through some things with the Jordy leaving and coming back where I'm sure they had some real moments that we aren't privy to. And then of course, you know, with this, this crazy kid on campus and uh, the way they've handled that beautifully. I think all that, I mean, there's a real unity there you, that, that's coming through. Let me ask you guys this. Better dunk Saturday's Roby against Rutgers where he takes off and throws it down so hard that the camera shakes out of focus? Or James Palmer slamming it in Kevin Herter's face? Uh, I thought Herter made a really bad decision dunk, uh, jumping on that one. Like I, I wouldn't have all blamed him if he uh, just made a business decision and got out of the way. But, I mean, that, that Roby dunk... There's been a couple this year where he's gone up and hasn't even like been close enough to the rim to like actually dunk it, but try it anyways. I, I think that Roby dunks probably. I would imagine that it will probably be on highlight reels with Nebraska basketball the way that that uh, Dave Hoppin dunk is that they show like nonstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of the best husk best Husker dunk probably I've seen in the last. 10, 15 years at least. Have you seen a better one than that? 
Roby Roby had count the slow demise of the hoop when Jason DeRusso brought it down. Yeah, <laughs> Ro, Roby had one. What was the one on the road that he didn't finish? But it, that one would have beat the one he actually completed. He had one on the road where it was just ridiculous what he attempted. Yeah, there was another one at was home. Was that against Rutgers too? It was either who, Rutgers who or the Penn one at State. Home? There, there was one at home for sure. I know where like maybe that was. He it. went lift off, and there's a photo of Copeland staring at him. In that amazement. might have been it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he just couldn't get it down. Yeah. but That one would have even topped the one he had the other night. But Yeah. I and Sticking with the dunks, because there's been more this season than any other year I can remember, I thought Doobie was going to get teed up for sure for how long he was on the rim. And then his, uh, his extracurricular celebration, I don't know if either of you guys saw afterwards, but it was, uh, it was a good game last night. It was a, it was a good crowd. I, like you said, I mean, it took a little bit. Then once Nebraska had that run, I thought they were – and Tim Miles goes out to the middle of the court and is trying to get everybody fired up, and I, I think that really worked. It's been a good year at the PBA. Yeah. Been a lot of fun. Sometimes you got to take a step back, and I know it can seem like oh, the homers are patting the Nebraska fan base on the back, but we cover a team that – the fan base here is ridiculous in a good way. I mean, like, to sell out a spring game in two days is unheard of. But then I've always thought the support for basketball, I know there's been complaints that it's too quiet sometimes, and I agree it can get, a, like, a church in there sometimes. But you have to say, for a program that hasn't had success for the most part, like Nebraska basketball, the way people keep filling it up, like, 12,000-plus on random nights, is incredible. You don't. You would not find that anywhere else. I enjoyed last night though. Tight game, one possession game, under a minute left. People leaving. A couple people get the jackets, start heading for the exit. So I was like, really? The guy I was sitting with was just pointing them out. <laughs> He's just pointing them out. He's like, oh, there's two. They're going to the far section over there. Oh, there's two. They're coming to the corner. There's a couple that got up, a couple sections over from me, pointing them out. Yeah. I I don't get it, but. Whatever. It's I've, how they want to... It's part of the charm. ...view the, the event, I guess. I've watched this entire movie. I'm going to leave now with five minutes yeah, left. Yeah, it's the big shootout scene, and I'm going <laughs> to head for the exits. Bruce Willis is going to make the big reveal here in The Sixth Sense. Time to go. <laughs> so. Anything else hoops-wise? Oh, should we, should we play the bracketology game? Well, I mean, we're all very highly intelligent individuals that know everything about basketball, so yes. Is, is the RPI system broken? Do we need... Do we need to tip over the apple cart? I just want to rant about the Big 12. Can I do that? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, I'll let you go. Because it's ridiculous. They have no what I would consider to be great teams. They have a couple that might qualify as good. The rest of the conference is largely average. And they're essentially playing round robins that is just in keeping everybody's RPI high because they're all very average. And then you have people like Andy Katz talking about nine bids. For the Big 12, go look at Kansas State's resume and tell me, outside of Oklahoma, what they have done to earn being in the NCAA tournament. And then you have Texas and Oklahoma, or Texas and Baylor, that are on the bubble with 14 or 15 wins and 10 losses. And again, nothing really out of conference. And, oh, they beat Kansas. Well, that's great. Kansas isn't that good this year. I, I, I don't get it. Like, it's not a very good conference. It will prove that when it gets to the NCAA tournament time, they will not have anybody in the Elite Eight or the Final Four. I feel pretty confident in that. I like how the bar 
it feels like it keeps going higher for Nebraska with people like that they got to reach because they got to win twenty three yeah. plus plus the Big Ten plus maybe an extra game. The best I've in. heard is that they've got to win twenty three and then make a deep run in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> it's like they start in the quarterfinals. How deep of a run do you have to make? Deeper than that, apparently. I'll uh, play an interesting scenario though. Um, is it okay? First off, you got to help me on this. Is the Big Ten championship? Do they still have it scheduled where it's the last game before the selection show, or did no, they change it's it? It's a week early this yeah. year. They changed it, so that's not part of it. Because I always thought that would be the dream setup if Nebraska could get to that game where they're playing and Jim Nance is on the call, you know, just before it. So that kind of dashes that. But yeah. but to get to that point though, they still, I mean, if they can win that four or five game, and if Ohio State stays as the one, I I give Nebraska a good shot in that game. The, in the semis, the, the newest talking point is that four or five game going to be a playing game for either Michigan or Nebraska to get into the tournament. Does the winner of that get in? Winner take yeah. all. And Penn State could still – I mean, Penn State's only a game back, right? And they play Michigan at home. So they could they could take the tiebreaker if they beat Michigan head-to-head. Somebody pointed that out to me because I was acting like it was already Nebraska-Michigan, which it it's not a done deal by any means. Do they um... – What happens if, if the five seed loses to the 12 and then Nebraska beats the 12? They get no credit for that yeah. win. <laughs> it's like and then they're in the semifinals and they're a bunch of frauds. And the Big Ten's a fraud, and they've got to make more room for Iowa State, who just finished ninth in the Big Twelve. Yeah, bad. At some point, you got to recognize who's hot. I mean, we do this in college football. If we we kind of look at who who's who can compete, who's hot, who passes the eye test, and Nebraska does that. If, if Nebraska gets ranked, does that eliminate the bubble talk? Are are you really gonna put a team? In the first four that would finish the year ranked? Be a first. <laughs> that would be absurd to me. And they're getting votes, so it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility. They've won, what, six straight games? They finished the year with three more wins, nine straight wins, 23 wins total. Here's, here's Penn, State's, Penn State's last four games to finish the regular season. So this is kind of intriguing. If, if they win a couple of the right games – or at least even one. I mean, that, that last game against Nebraska becomes interesting. They've got Ohio State at home. They go to Purdue. They've got Michigan at home, and then they go to Nebraska to finish. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they kind of come through that okay. They could be five, the five. It, well, I mean, it, it certainly looks more interesting for Nebraska. Uh, that, that game becomes a little bit more impressive than it would have been otherwise probably. Mm-hmm. Is Pat Chambers coaching for his career, too, essentially? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know what the standard is for Penn State. They've never been good in my life. I don't think that anybody cares. Well, there's that. Like, they draw more for wrestling than they do at basketball. Well, they State. have Cale Sanderson. They do. So he, He's more popular than Pat Chambers. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Penn State has to go to Purdue, though, you said? They go to Purdue. They've got Ohio State at home and Michigan at home. Okay. And then at Nebraska. See, yes. if they can beat Ohio State, which is a big if, of course, but Ohio State and Michigan, they'd be in a good sh- spot to take the five seed right away if Michigan loses one more game in addition to that, which I think Michigan has kind of a tough finish too, if I remember right. But 
and they're not playing great ball by any means. No. They host Iowa today. Yeah, they'll probably win that. And then I think it's Penn State. I thought they had a pretty soft finish. Well, it's the Big Ten. Everything's soft. This is true. This is How, true. Here's a last question on this, though. You're, you're around it up close, Bronze. How, how do you feel like Miles and the guys are handling this? They're just on the are bubble. Do, are they letting on that they're even paying attention to it? Or Oh, they talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like Miles told him the other day that, you know, based on – how things probably would finish, they would be an NIT number one seed right now. So, I mean, guys are aware of it. I mean, I, I would imagine it's probably hard to not be dialed in on that. And I don't, like I said, I mean, I didn't really get the impression that they had really shown any signs that they were dealing with pressure until the first half last night. So, and, you know, I, I think sometimes too, I mean, this is a, a team of guys who have kind of been through some things, transfers, veteran guys that, you know, it's not, shouldn't be a huge deal, I guess. Do you get the sense that there's a little bit of the byproduct of like James Palmer doesn't know Nebraska basketball isn't supposed to win games like last night? Like they don't have that sort of beat down defeatist attitude because they haven't been around long enough. They haven't really been exposed to it. In a lot of ways, they're mercenaries brought in specifically for this type of situation. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I I think like I think the thing that makes it easier for this team is they know what they have to do. I mean, they know they have to win, and I understand that there's pressure with that because I mean every game is a must-win, but it really does kind of take like the guesswork out of it for them. I mean, they, they know what they have to do. They feel like they're in control of their own destiny in some ways, even though everybody would say that they're not, um, or a lot of people would say that they're not. So I, I think that that kind of helps focus them a little bit too. And, I mean, they just think they're better than the teams they're playing, I think. I mean, there is that confidence. You, last night I think they thought they're better than Maryland. And there's not many times you would – think a Nebraska basketball team would think that when they're playing Maryland in basketball. And, and I don't know too, if there's like, there's a probably a little bit of a part of it too, where they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I mean, James Palmer plays angry. Um, you know, there, there's an edge to these guys that is different than the team in 14. I mean, that, that team took on Taran Petaway's personality, I think, but I feel like, you know, this group just has a lot more guys that are just really kind of dogged competitors. What game going the rest of the way, is it Penn State that concerns you the most? Is it on the road Sunday at Illinois in an empty gym with Brad Underwood? I mean, that that Illinois game kind of feels like what a trip to, like, Penn State would have been in the past to me. Like, you're there's not going to be much energy in that gym. Illinois has got some guys that can play. Nebraska, I think, sometimes has kind of played down a little bit to teams that are um, supposedly overmatched. Does and, it help that Illinois took them to the brink at home so maybe they're not going to be looking past them? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, I would hope that at this point Nebraska wouldn't be looking past anybody. but You would hope. You would hope. Um, but that that's probably the one that worries me the most. I mean, I, I don't. Indiana doesn't really 
put the fear of anything in me. But I mean, Penn State's got guys that, that can play. The the last question I have for both of you: Who currently is Nebraska's second best player? If you agree that James Palmer is their best, who would you put at number two? I would say uh, I'd say Roby right now. I would too. Um, I think he's taking on a lot of tough jobs. I mean, last night he's trying to body up against a guy he's giving up all that weight to, and he's got to fight like heck on the defensive end. And and also, I mean, in the second half, everybody paid attention to Palmer, but what Roby had zero at the break, right? Yeah. And what he end up with twelve? Uh, Eleven. 11 yeah, and 10, I mean I think. he. So they combined for thirty-five points between Palmer and Roby, and they let's see. What was the final score? Seventy to sixty-six. So thirty-five of the forty points for those two guys. Yep, I think Roby too. I mean, he's got the block numbers this year. He's got over fifty for the season. But I think he does uh, the types of things that don't really show up in the stat column. He makes hustle plays. He changes a lot of shots in the lane. That three big blocks last night. That don't get counted as blocks, but I mean, they they create misses. Um, I think the fact that he can shoot from the outside or has shown that he can has, has really kind of made him a much more dynamic offensive player. I mean, I, I think, you know, Copeland's been great this year, but I think Roby, the last six, seven, eight games, has really really become Nebraska's yeah. second-best player. I'd say Copeland is as big as anybody on the team, though, as far as, like, he has to consistently give them that, like, a dozen points, basically. I think maybe he ended up with nine last night. He started off really hot, and then – Kind he didn't of, get him touches in the second. Yeah, half. and he missed. And then he like, got that one he shot. Opportunities. Yeah. He missed a dunk on the foul and missed a couple free throws. But um, I feel like he's the guy in these last three games where he's got to just consistently be there with like twelve to fourteen a game. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, baseball starts. The baseball. I don't mm. think that works that well. Sorry. Should just no. I shouldn't have said that out loud. Do we want to re-record this now? The whole thing. Just yeah. Pretend you yeah, go back. didn't think go you had a white hat. Go put that that white hat. Talking about. Go put that hat back in the closet and we'll see where it. Uh... I'm just wearing that hat all the time now. Fresno State, huh? Yeah. Well, I had a run uh, where I would go to the CWS and buy that style of hat of a different team in it every time. Not in the 90s, though. No. And, uh, I don't think I ever made it to CWS in the 90s. So. Anyways, back to, to Nebraska baseball. Can they make it to the CWS in 2018? Brunt, go. Uh, I don't know. Um, they were picked. Jeez. They, here's the thing about the Big Ten. Big I Ten baseball. fence to sit on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm balancing on it like a surfboard, a very thin surfboard. Uh, so Nebraska picked to finish second in the conference by the coaches, which would be enough for an NCAA tournament berth. D1 Baseball has Nebraska finishing fifth. Uh, Baseball America has Nebraska as a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. So everybody's just kind of throwing darts at the wall right now. Um, and, and this is an interesting team. You've got a lot of proven guys on offense. you got Scott Schreiber back, Angelo Altavilla's back, uh, Wilkening, Luke Roskam. They, the question is, is whether they're going to be able to score uh, enough runs because I, I think they've got the pitching depth to do it, even though – they're going to be a little shorthanded the first weekend or first couple weekends with guys coming back from injury. So, um, you know, they've got eight games in the first two weekends. Uh, they've got two against Oregon State next week. So they're going to get tested right out of the gates. But 
you know, I think this is a team that can definitely contend for another Big Ten title. I mean, with the way the Big Ten schedules, it's all about who you who you play and whether or not you can stay healthy. So that's my uh, quick rundown of baseball. Who would be some new faces that fans should be aware of going into this weekend's contest? Well, you got Luis Alvarado, not new, but at a new position. Um, not really. Well, he's starting. A new role. New role, yes. Come on, Bruns. You're not even... Did you not report to spring training? He's a he's a Friday night starter, and he's on the stopper of the year watch list. So <laughs> keep keep an eye on that. Uh, with so with Chad Lensman out from Tommy with the Tommy John surgery, uh, I think Alvarado's probably their top arm. He's going to be their Friday night guy. He's going to play in the field too on days that he doesn't pitch. Um, Matt Warren, uh, you might remember him from midweek games against Creighton before they started doing their nine pitching changes on a Tuesday night. Such midweek games as Creighton. Yeah. they. Uh, he's back from Tommy John's sixth year. Uh, he's going to be a weekend guy for him again. He's probably the most notable new face. I think offensively, it's going to be a lot of the same guys. Uh, ben Klinke is going to get a chance to start in center field. I don't know if that will stick, but he's the, the first guy out. Alex Henwood probably at second base. Um but, you know, I, I think it's going to be a lot of the, the veteran guys that they're going to lean pretty heavily on, especially early on. What are the realistic expectations for a team like Nebraska going into these first couple weekend tournaments? I mean, this weekend they should be pretty competitive. It's always hard to tell, though, because, I mean, Nebraska only made it outside twice since they've started so uh, practice. They haven't even taken infield on dirt yet, so... Um, that's something to consider. The second weekend is going to be real tough because they've got Utah and they've got Oregon State. Uh, two games against Oregon State is the number two team in the country and has some legit dudes, some big arms. Uh, so that's an opportunity for Nebraska to really help their RPI later in the season, but it's a, a tall challenge this time of year. So, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's just such a mixed bag this time of year because, you know, if guys haven't been outside, I mean, I know people kind of shake their heads and say, well, they've got the facilities to, to get around that, but I think it really does make a difference. Brian, any thoughts on Nebraska baseball that's, based on what, uh, that's what baseball. Brent said? Nope, not yet. <laughs> Brian's saving those thoughts. That's fair. All right, well, we'll see if Brian has any new thoughts next week. On I'll jump on the bandwagon eventually with baseball. <laughs> Once they get <laughs> still smarting a little on that yeah. comment, I like it. I like it. It got under his skin a little. He can't. You can't ruffle him a whole lot. No, I've noticed. But that guy was able to do it. Yeah, he brushed your back a little bit. It's all right. I I took him yard next pitch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. All right. We'll find out who Christofferson's going to take yard next week at the Nebraska Twenty Four Seven Sports dot com podcast.